0: Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be forced to endure the pain of pancreatolysis if you secreted the idea that you missed this week's show Nonprofit Emeriti with Joanne Goldberger. We're kicking off a new feature highlighting long career retirees from the nonprofit community who have ideas, wisdom, and experience to share. Joanne Goldberger is my inaugural nonprofit emeriti guest. On Tony's Take Two, The Jargon Jail Rules. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. It's a big pleasure to welcome my inaugural Nonprofit Emeriti guest, Joanne Goldberger. She had a successful 45-year career as an idea confetti bomb in nonprofit management and fundraising. She's looking forward to retirement at the end of this month. Her only for-profit job was many years ago with the largest McDonald's franchisee on Long Island in New York. Since then, it was Mount Sinai Medical Center of Greater Miami, Alexander Muss High School in Israel, headquartered in Miami, Carol Child Care Center in Baltimore, Junior Achievement of Central Maryland, and finally, Retirement Out of Barks, Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, where she grew their $750,000 budget to over $5 million. You can find Joanne on Facebook. Hey, she's retired. And LinkedIn. Why bother? Joanne Goldberger, Welcome to Nonprofit Radio and Nonprofit Emerita.
1: Thank you so much, Tony, and hello to all of our guests today.
0: Yes, well, you're the guests. They're the listeners. <laughs> okay. Well, you can bring them in as guests. Yes, we have 13,000 guests. Absolutely. Congratulations.
1: Congratulations on your retirement. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a
0: career. It's um, hard
1: to believe.
0: <laughs> 45 years.
1: Woo! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now I feel old.
0: <laughs> oh come on! No, you got you got wisdom.
1: It's not. That's it's not probably ages, longer it. than most of your listeners' lives. <laughs>
0: uh, that could be. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of listeners who are under 45. That's probably <laughs> that's that's true. But you have wisdom. It's it's wisdom, not age. It's wisdom, yes. <laughs> wisdom and experience. Um, no, it's terrific. Congratulations, uh, and and uh, so you have you have advice around, and you've done this at many organizations. Uh, Getting to the next level, like getting off a treadmill, what what does it look like? What what does the problem look like before we get into your your ideas about growing beyond
1: it? Well, first of all, I've been with some grassroots organization, and that's exactly what it is. It's a grassroots movement to conceive about the organization and what it can be. And it, it's, a, it's a lengthy journey, it's, it's not an overnight process. So, especially for those newer nonprofits and even the middle, nonprofits you need to give yourself about five years and i was very fortunate when i joined barks because i was at the time their first director of development and they were wise enough to know that they wouldn't see major results until about five years and that's an important thought for executive directors and their boards to know when you're embarking upon a process that it does take time. And it really did take every bit of five years.
0: Yeah. All right. So you need a long-term view, but, but what does the problem look like? What, what, what is a, what is a nonprofit that needs to get to the next level? You know, what, what, what uh, uh, like smoke, there's lots of small donors pursuing small gifts. Talk about, talk about what the symptoms are, you know, what it looks sure. like.
1: Um, I like to call it the money grab because that's what we were doing. We. Um, our goal was to raise $8 million, and they were raising $750,000. And most of the gifts are small gifts, like $50 or $65. So we were burning ourselves out trying to grab all these small gifts, and you can't and, really and, do but,
0: that. And your your goal was $8 million, and you were coming nowhere near it.
1: Nowhere near it. Not even near a million dollars. Yeah. Um, because that's an awful lot of small gifts to grab.
0: No, it can't be done. It can't it be done can't. fifty dollars at a time.
1: No, it can't not and with a small staff, no less too. Um, yeah, Well, that's so true Right. Very few right. people right. juggling so many plates.
0: Yeah, and I mean you it,
1: also need a strong board with a fiduciary responsibility. The board also has to help lead the process.
0: okay. And we're gonna we're gonna get to we're gonna get to them absolutely, um, and in events right it's like hosting small events that bring in what a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars or, or like something
1: two or three hundred dollars uh, two or three hundred at the right. time there were only three and a half of us in the development department and we were doing literally dozens of these tiny events every week. So we were killing ourselves and not really raising any money, but we were working round the clock, go to this event on Monday and this one on Tuesday and three on Wednesday. And um, you really need to keep the big picture in mind and really grab towards the larger dollar events and also major donors as well. Because it's wonderful to have those small gifts, but you really need some serious cash infusions.
0: Yeah. All right. So it starts with, you just mentioned it, you know, thinking bigger, realizing what you could be. I mean, so Barks had an $8 million goal. They were coming nowhere near raising any, not even close to that. But so they had a conception of themselves as a much bigger agency, but they didn't have a plan for getting there. That is they correct. just kept doing the same thing. Like You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results year after year after year.
1: And that's exactly right. And we we felt the need to break away from the norm. And that took the buy-in of our executive director, who was also the founder of Bar, Barks, to take a leap of faith and say, okay, we're, we're going to stop this and we're going to, see the bigger picture and envision how barks could be raising millions of dollars and one of the things we started to do right off the bat is we had an annual uh, signature event we still do it's called barks tober and it's our largest fundraiser of the year and we struggled struggled to raise $165,000 each year with that one event. And that was through sponsorships and other smaller donations. And it, it was a struggle. And then we said, okay, we're gonna try something new. We're gonna try, instead of it being a community celebration of pets, it was going to be a celebration and reward for peer-to-peer fundraising for people who raise the funds for pets and then they're going to party hardy at barks toberfest and we went from the first year of raising one hundred sixty-five thousand to over three hundred thousand dollars yeah. just yeah. in the first year because we had people who are our supporters were actually raising the funds for us instead of the department struggling to raise those funds which of course we did too in terms of sponsorships but it was awesome to have hundreds of people raising the funds for us and also building awareness for barks at the same time
0: all right so you need to you you need to be willing to experiment right to, to pivot away from yes, what you've absolutely. been doing for year after year absolutely. and it's not getting you even to one-eighth of your goal Uh, You need to be, you need to be willing to try something different. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. They have a free webinar coming up. It's on March 24th. Crisis communications. They're going to walk you step by step through a crisis communications protocol because you ought to have a plan for a crisis or at least the outline of a plan for how you're going to manage internally and to the outside some kind of major problem crisis that uh, that befalls you. Um, you know we don't even we don't even want to get into what the possible crises are. You can imagine them. So have a plan. If you don't have a plan, or at least the outline, you can join turn two. It's on March 24th. If you can't join live, then uh, you sign up and they'll send you a link to the recording. That's the key is the recording. So you go to turn co slash webinars. Now back to Nonprofit Emeriti with Joanne Goldberger. Let's talk about getting this the executive buy-in on, you know, not only the Barktoberfest, uh, but, uh, you know, on, on, on the, the bigger conception. I mean, the, the CEO had it in mind though, because there was an $8 million goal, but how did you get the buy-in for pivoting the plan or just like scrapping what you had been doing and moving to something very different? How did you get the CEO to buy into that, you know, that concept?
1: Well, it, it was a process. She was already almost there because she knew we had to raise millions of dollars or the organization was gonna falter. So in order to do that, just like what you said, we can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting bigger results. You you already proved like this is what you can raise, but this is what we need to raise. Um, And by hiring a director of development, because I was the first one that they ever had, they were already half on board with the idea. They knew they had to do it. Okay. And so she was trusting and, and we, we've had failures, but we've had more successes than failures.
0: All right. And we're going to get to the, the need, you know, talking to donors about the need, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to come to that, but we got to get the, we got to get the internal first. Um, and, you know, of course you're sharing your experience from barks, but, this was experience gained over 45 well before barks i guess it was 35 year career mm-hmm. you know you knew what needed to be done it's not just you know you, this is this has come to you at barks it takes time to develop the confidence in in a different strategy and then being able to persuade uh, the c suite or the, the one person the ceo and then the, and then we're going to get to the the board you know uh, uh, about what the potential is and how best to go about this. You know, you, this, you know, this Barks was the culmination of a 45-year career. So you, know, you gain this wisdom over a career, and then Barks became the, the lucky recipient of all yep. your 35 they, years of experience. Right. They did. Right.
1: And right. as a matter of fact, um, I had a background in marketing, in public relations, in nonprofit management. So it all came together at Barks. So I did know what to do. I was um, a little mortified that it was just me and two and a half other people that had this lofty goal because I knew how much work it would take, but I was very motivated to do it. I wanted us to succeed. Um, And so I started to put a plan in place. And you've probably heard this other times that those people that can achieve the most get the most handed to them. So, in addition to having to raise, at that point, several million dollars, I also had to do all the marketing, all the PR, all the social media, and raise the money. <laughs> and <laughs> so, every day I would come in, I'd look like a deer in the headlights, like, how could this be? And back in the day... I if,
0: love how you're laughing about it now.
1: Oh Yeah, okay, it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I know, I know.
1: Um. But at the time, if I could make one post to Facebook and then two months later, make another post, that would be an accomplishment instead of engaging others like you're supposed to. But there was like no way I could get it all done. So I always kept my eye on the prize of how are we going to raise more money because we need all hands on deck. All
0: right. The board. How did you get the the volunteer leadership to accept this radical change in in fundraising strategy?
1: That, too, was a process because I was used to working with very high powered boards, certainly a junior achievement. It's all C-suite executives from the Fortune 500 companies. And even when I worked at the Alexander Musk High School in Israel, our benefactor was Stephen Musk, the son who owned the Fountain Blue for 50 years. The, and Fountain, and Blue in,
0: the Fountain Blue in Blue Manha- in Miami.
1: In Miami, yeah. absolutely. Right. So he wrote, I had to go pick up a check. He wrote us a check for a million dollars, just like that. Just like without out the checkbook and wrote it. So when I came to Barts, who's on the board, of course, nobody I recognize, but it was all crazy cat ladies. And I'm one of them, so I could say that, And you know, pet loving people, but they had absolutely no sphere of influence. Um, they weren't able to give on their own, give or get for that matter. So that was one of the hardest and longest term processes process um, to turn the board over into a fundraising board. and that took pretty much almost my entire time at Barks, which got to start somewhere. Um, Because without a board with a fiduciary responsibility, you're never going to get into the to the bigger fundraising dollars so slowly but surely we were able to have those board members roll off, and they were very dear kind people. We found other places for them, at yeah. Clark, but not on the board. Right. And one of the first things we did was we increased the give or get, which they didn't have one. Right. You didn't have to even make a, a financial donation to be on the board at that time. But we increased it to only $3,000 and that got rid of the vast majority. <laughs> because none of them were able to give it or raise it or get it. Um, And so slowly but surely, we started to bring in more notable people because as many people know, if you want C-suite executives on your board, they're only gonna be on a board with other C-suite executives. They need to know the people. And so that was a long process in identifying um, members of the board that we wanted, and to go after them to attract them.
0: How do you entice the first couple of of transformational board members? The first one or two or three. How do you? And then I could oh. see, you know, okay, now I could be affiliated with somebody else who's prominent in the area. But but that first one or two, yes. h- how do you get? How do you get them?
1: That's a great question, Tony the first thing we did was mine our database to see who's it i mean we had thousands of people in there but who are they and lo and behold we had a few baltimore orioles and at the time was <laughs> oh, right across the street from raven's stadium MT bank stadium and camden yards we were right a stone a, a baseball throw away <clears throat> and so we saw that one of our, not adop- donors, but one of our adopters was Matt Weeders at the time. And so we reached out to him.
0: Now, I don't know anything about I don't know anything but, about sports.
1: Uh, uh, I, it's okay. He's not an Orioles anymore, but his wife is still on our board. Okay, today. the Orioles.
0: The, the Orioles is a football
1: team. No, it's uh, it's Baltimore Orioles, well, Maryland's baseball team.
0: Oh, they play baseball. Okay, okay.
1: And um, they used to be quite famous. Not so much now. They're they're re- reconfiguring, but back in the day, that was a big deal to have a sports figure tied to Bart's. So we reached out. <clears throat> and they love their pets who they adopted from us and they agreed to be on the board.
0: Oh, that's fabulous. Right. And amongst
1: oh. our volunteers, of which Barks has 400 active volunteers, we had somebody that was very engaged and he was um, higher up in the Teamsters Union. And he was very interested in joining the board, and he had—he knew everybody in Maryland. He really did, yeah. and so he brought with him several other board members, and okay. that's how it started to. That's grow. how it got
0: started. All right, brilliant. So you, might, by the way, I—I I knew that the Orioles is a baseball team. I was—I <laughs> was—I was messing with you. Um,
1: they don't know they, now though. <laughs> it's what. Most people don't know who the Orioles are now, though. All right,
0: what happened to them?
1: Well, they had a changeover in players, and they're, they're 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 struggling, but they're they're on their way back.
0: Okay, but they're still there. They're still of in course. Baltimore. Oh, okay.
1: Go right. O's, absolutely. Go
0: O's, yes, <laughs> of course. I I say that all every day. I wake up saying Go O's. Um, all right, so that all right, brilliant. You you mind your own database. You found a prominent person who has a multiple adopter. All right. So it was in, it, it was there all that time. It was. Right. And someone who could be a very uh, uh, major donor to you also.
1: And is. Absolutely. Is.
0: There you go. All right. I see. And then then you got your guy from the Teamsters Union and then it and snowballed from there.
1: And, and that's exactly okay. how it worked.
0: Okay. And these are folks who are going to want to be on a high powered board uh, so they're going to start to recruit their own folks, uh, as the as the union guy did, uh, their own friends as 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 donors as well as fellow board members, and the organization starts to gain prestige, and not these you know three hundred and fifty dollar events on a Wednesday afternoon.
1: And they're,
0: I have, they're going to think these are folks who are going to think bigger.
1: And I have to add in that all along the process, we were building the bark story because it started off as a very sad story we took over the animal shelter from the city who was euthanizing 98% of 12,000 animals that came to us annually mm. and by raising more money we put in we put into place more life-saving programs so gradually over time our live release rate has been at 90% since 2018 So it became the gem of Baltimore City that has so many sad stories coming out of it. But this was really a wonderful story to tell of how we were saving animals' lives. And it was due to the entire city. I mean, the donors, the supporters, the government, everything um, truly took a village. So by creating that story for barks, more donors came and larger donors came and more board members came because they all wanted to be part of that success.
0: Okay. Telling the story. Uh, tell, telling the story of how you Don't turned it around from, a, it. from what a city agency was doing. You almost turned it upside down from 98% kill to 90% live uh, alive and survival. All right. Um, how does grants did grantsmanship uh grants writing play a role in this transition
1: so that was a very very important role because in the beginning we had no thousand dollar donors very few hundred dollar donors for that matter and here i came from a background with people you know writing a check for $10,000 or a $1,000,000 and we don't even have our first $1,000 donor. So I knew from my past history in grants writing that to get a large cash infusion in the door so that we could start building programs for BART, we needed to write grants. And of course, that fell on my shoulders also. but I started investigating grants writing, and I got our first grant in probably the first four months that we were there um, for over $25,000, and then grew it from that point on. But that too is a process, because while grants is a huge portion still of the park's budget, it brings in now almost three quarters of a million dollars, you have to have support from your staff or your volunteers to maintain that grant. You have to implement the program, but you also have to be good stewards of that funding and do all the grant reporting that's necessary that comes along with it. But you can always look for volunteers. You can always look for freelance grants writers, but it it was one way I knew to get Large amounts of money in the door,
0: somewhat quickly. And look, if you need to go outside, you know, if you do need to hire someone to do grants, as you said, either on a freelance basis or maybe a part-time basis, you know, maybe maybe one of your transformational donors can fund that fund that for you.
1: Absolutely. You know, you know
0: you're you're trying to you as you share with them the vision for where you're trying to get to. You need some bridge money you need grantsmanship, you know, could could a donor or two help you uh, across that bridge with by, by funding some professional help, if, if you don't have it in, in in the form of a volunteer or in the, in in Barks case, you know, you were there. Um, but if you have to pay for it, maybe you can get a donor to help you. Yes. All right. That was
1: another thing that Barks always does, we always try to get everything we can donated. First, before we would ever lay out any money, Um, there's a wealth of places you can turn to for anything.
0: It's time for Tony's Take Two. Just recently on LinkedIn, someone that uh, I follow posted about jargon. So I, of course, had to mention that I have uh, jargon jail on nonprofit radio. And she said, oh, you know, sounds like a good idea. She had posted uh, against jargon. I'm not sure if there is a pro-jargon lobby, but she was anti-jargon. So she loved the idea. And then she asked, how does somebody get out of jargon jail? So that was the impetus for me to uh, codify jargon jail uh, enforcement. So we now have a jargon jail enforcement protocol, uh, which I am going to read from because, you know, I don't want to misquote the statute because the slightest comma or word, you know, can make a difference in statutory interpretation. So here's our, uh, jargon jail statute. If a guest defines the jargon on their own, they're sentenced to only probation. No jail time then. If I have to call them out as offenders, and they show contrition, and then define their jargon, they're granted parole. So if I have to identify it, and then um, they do show contrition, and then they define their jargon, okay, they get parole. But if there's no contrition and or no definition of their jargon, they remain in jargon jail, and I shut off their mic. End quote. Now that draconian punishment uh, has never been meted out on nonprofit radio, but it remains on the books. It's on the books uh, show host oh well, I guess there is a little bit more. The show host is judge and jury, and there are no appeals available. okay, end quote so there's our jargon jail uh, enforcement regimen uh, statute uh, for jargon jail. I have to give credit to Claire Meyerhoff. Our creative producer, she came up with this idea uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the show, 12 years ago. She thought of jargon jail. Of course, when when someone transgresses, the jargon uh, jail uh, statutory enforcement mechanism is triggered against that scoff law. Has to be. We have to have. A, we live in a society based on law and order, right? We know this, so. There has to be, uh, guardrails, boundaries uh, around bad behavior. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got buku, loads more time for Nonprofit Emeriti with Joanne Goldberger. And I hope that you are enjoying this new nonprofit radio feature, Nonprofit Emeriti. All right, let's turn outside now you start You've got a you've got a much stronger board, a giving board. You're telling a very different story about Barks. Um, the CEO has been on board for years now. Uh, you're starting to go out to external folks. You know, attracting major donors. Let's talk about how you get those. Uh, you know, or whatever stage it came at, you get those first several thousand dollar donors, and then you're looking for investment level donors. 10,000, 25, $50,000 donors. How do you start attracting these folks?
1: Well, one thing that we did when we started to get some funding in the door, it was a necessity, a necessity to grow the development staff. Joanne couldn't do it all anymore it was it was too hard so we started to grow the development staff which today from three and a half people when I started is now 10 people oh gosh so it's huge but we were very fortunate that the leadership and the executive director saw the need, like, oh, who wants to add development staff? Nobody wants to do that. They want to add everything else. But they realized in order to make money, you have to invest in the staff. And so we started to grow people internally who could cultivate these major donors and take the time again to look in the database because what good was amassing a database if you're not doing anything with it um and looking to see who those people are and as you probably know people love to give to success not rats off a sinking ship they want to give. you know gone are the days of um terrified fundraising where it's like oh my god we're going to close our doors if you don't give us money well nobody's going to give you money because you're closing your doors so why should they but if you could build a story of success and get that out there um the donors come to you and that's exactly what was happening as soon as we started to get a few thousand dollar donors we got more and more. Mm. And then we started to get monthly donors, which we never had. Um, So we started to build up that base of monthly donors as well. And the board was doing and is doing a tremendous job of attracting others to also donate to barks.
0: So the organization has to invest in growth. And then the, and in which includes investing in fundraising you know you hire professional fundraisers and then you can get those donors to invest in the organization but you have to invest in growth first in your own growth and then you can attract those investment level gifts
1: and you'll also have to paint your organization's picture as one as as one of success success no matter what's happening internally you (laughs) still have to paint a positive picture because if you don't unfortunately you'll be dead in the water Um, because for many years barks was euthanizing for space every day every day but we didn't paint that picture we painted a much brighter picture and a better day where we would be able to reach a 90% live release rate. And that's what people wanted to hear. And that's what we were able to achieve with their help.
0: All right, now we're getting into the uh, Elizabeth Holmes and uh, Theranos uh, territory. Remember, you know, the woman with the, the pinprint, you know what I'm talking about? She's just, just had her trial. Yes, uh, yes. The, the, pin, the, bloody, the pinprick technology yeah, that was yeah. going to diagnose 30 or 300 different.
1: Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. Right. But you, you achieved, you got to where you were telling people you wanted to be. You got to that 90% live release rate.
1: And that was always um, the apple or the carrot that we were reaching for. Um, that, that was always the mission of Barks to turn around that 2% live release rate and change it to 90%. So we knew what we had to do internally, forget fundraising, we knew what we had to do internally and add all those life saving programs to do it. So that's why I said, in addition to fundraising, you have to be building your organization's story and that's what we were doing behind the scenes. And that's what we were doing with every penny that we raised.
0: Okay, excellent. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Uh, what did you do with some of those uh, crazy cat lady former board members? How did Not, they end none up Some of them were still- really
1: crazy, Tony. <laughs> it's a it's a, a term of endearment in animal welfare to call somebody a crazy cat okay. lady. Yeah, no, I, I get when that. they're crazy right. about cats. But we had, like I said, a huge volunteer program. We needed cat socializers and dog walkers. So they clearly loved cats. So we trained them and it's like come in every day and work with the 110 cats that we have every day. They need socialization so that they could get adopted. So they were happy to do that. And I kid you not, some were quite pissed off that we all of a sudden said, okay, the the give or get is $3,000. So they just like stormed off and, you know, there was nothing really we could do about that because in essence, while we would love to have them back as a volunteer, we wouldn't love to have them back as a board member. So we had to let those people walk. But um, some of them stayed on as volunteers, and either dog walking or cats socializing. So we we're happy to have them, and I think they were much happier doing that than being on the board.
0: <laughs> okay, all right. What else? Um, what else haven't I uh, asked you about now? That to to make this transformational change. What other advice do you have?
1: Um, one other thing that barks is really known for is out of the box thinking for how to raise money um and and i'm going to give you a few examples in a moment but if you know who your constituents are and what they love you play to that audience so let me explain Still to this day, our average gift is only $65, but we get thousands of them. And when Joanne was doing social media, that was a joke because I really wasn't.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. A Um, Facebook post every two months.
1: Right. 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 (laughs) And never looked back. But when we had enough funding, the first person that we hired was somebody that lived with social media and did social media for BART. And she'll tell you um, that she was working 24 seven, because two, three in the morning, she was checking her phone for anything that she posted, she was engaging donors, um, or engaging followers. And so we used to have a following of 7500 followers. And today it's almost 200,000. And having that many also attracts many corporate sponsors and other people interested in you being an influencer. So that was one of the things we did. And she was super creative. So we know that our funding base is primary, primarily millennials. And so what do we do? We And this is all attributed to her, who is now, she's taking my role as I twilight away. She's the director of community engagement. We had, and um, some of you, some of your listeners may have seen it or may have seen it around the country, because everybody knocked us off once we did it. Bad pet portraits for $10. And our staff and our volunteers draw the most hideous pet portraits you'd ever want. Um, You would pay $10 and send us a photo of your pet. And somebody would draw it. Now some of them were beautiful. But some look with like the pointed teeth, they look like vampires. (laughs) It was great. But it was so funny and so unusual that it raised us $10,000 with just $10 donations. Mm. We had a dog wedding a few years ago because we knew our audience would eat it up, and they did. The tickets sold out like crazy, and we raised $30,000 from it. And we got every single thing donated, including the um, hotel banquet hall, all the food, all the liquor, all the music, everything was donated i don't think we laid out 300 for the whole thing you,
0: and you married a dog couple in know in a, in a gown did. and a tuxedo and of course
1: that was blasted across social media everybody couldn't wait for the big day we had flower kittens not flower girls we had flower kittens i mean that was the whole shebang and one thing i always wanted to do was have a bark mitzvah and I never got to do it, but I hope <laughs> will one day. But I always want, I had a tiny one. It was uh, many years ago, but I really wanted to do a big one based on the success of the dog wedding. And uh, the bride had, uh, was handicapped and had a wheelchair <laughs> attached to her hindquarters and uh, a very handsome groom.
0: <laughs> that's that's how Well, I, I love, you know,
1: to believe it. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I love the Barks Mitzvah too. That's
1: Yeah, that's, I'm, I always wanted to do that's that.
0: better. Barks Mitzvah is better than uh, Barks Toberfest. Barks Toberfest is all right, but <laughs> I know
1: Barks, barks, barks Mitzvah
0: works better. All right. <laughs> They'll get there. All right. But the but the lessons are, again, investing in the organization, they, they, they hired a social manager. Somebody, that, or somebody who was deeply invested, obviously deeply loved animals. And and, and she, all
1: those stories.
0: And she engaged. Right, right. And,
1: and that's and then, another thing. You know, when I was doing my one post every other month, Barks gets in 30 to 35 animals every day of the year. There's so many stories. We're never lacking for stories. And that's prime for social media. But I, I couldn't do it i i definitely needed a person and now we have almost three people at barks doing it um because there's so many followers and there's so much engagement all right a you lot said comes from it and i have to add one other thing we raised three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year just on facebook just from those followers be it their birthday celebration and they have a fundraiser or just asking outright for donations for very specific animals Um, we raise a lot of money just on facebook so it was well well worth the investment um because the board and the executive director would say well you know we got to pay $40,000 forty or fifty thousand dollars at the time to hire somebody plus their benefit package how do we know we're gonna make that back well just in Facebook we're raising three fifty thousand dollars a year so I think we made it back It oh, was an excellent yeah, well, investment
0: right multiple times all right but that's an interesting point. what do you say to that Well how do we know how do we know we're gonna get a return on this person we got to pay fifty thousand dollars plus 20 or thirty percent for benefits? How how do we know this is going to be fruitful for us?
1: And again, it's just a matter of trust and knowing what could be. And it was a gamble. We had to see. And everybody at Barks is super motivated. (laughs) They truly love animals and will do anything to succeed. And uh, she certainly did. And the money started rolling in. But it could have gone the other way. It could have. But we we did our research and we were pretty confident that we would be able to raise a vast amount of money just with social media.
0: Okay. Again, the willingness to try. You can't keep doing things the same way, uh, as we said. Willingness to try something different. Make make the investment. All right.
1: And and I should add one other thing. If it was to fail, we had plenty of roles in fundraising for her to take over instead. (laughs) So even though she was doing social media, believe me, there was plenty of place for her if it didn't pay off.
0: Yeah. All right. So what does Barks look like now after the transformation? You said you said 10 people. Is that 10 people doing
1: fundraising? Uh Yeah. All different aspects of it, including marketing, public relations and social media um okay it's all lumped together as um community engagement so we have somebody just working with corporate donors two people working with social media i was doing grants writing um and then we had other people working with donors under 250 dollars and over 250 dollars so everybody has a little piece of the puzzle so that it's manageable because in the beginning it wasn't manageable Um, we just had to try everything but you know this high burnout when you're when you're juggling that many plates um without extra help so we're very fortunate now that everybody is doing a certain aspect of development. All
0: right. So, what does Barks overall look like now as a five million dollar a year agency?
1: So the goal is still eight million dollars.
0: All right. Well, you're a lot, hell of a lot closer <laughs> it, than you it, were.
1: That, that that would be the the tipping point for Barks where we would be able to do everything that we really wanted to do. So we were already raising close to five million two years ago before COVID, then COVID struck. So of course we had a pivot along with the rest of the world and it was truly grants and the payroll protection plan that helped keep parks afloat during mm-hmm. COVID because everybody feared their fundraising tanking. And we were very fortunate for the past two years to maintain our fundraising level at $5 million. So we sustained it, but we didn't grow, but at least we didn't shrink either. Mm -hmm. So now we're starting to bring back in-person events, dog weddings coming back again this year. (laughs) Um, And so we're, we're poised to start increasing and heading again to that $8 million goal. Which is achievable. It's just we had a two-year slowdown along with everybody else.
0: All right, uh, it's a it's a terrific story of transformation. Uh, and it, but it's built on your on your f- thirty-five years before that, and now a forty-five-year career. You know that that's the that's the value of experience. An, you a knew new what to person do.
1: coming in wouldn't have survived. Yeah. They wouldn't have known what to do, where to
0: turn. and, and Or how to get it done. You yeah. know, it's fine to have an $8 million goal, but you have to have a plan for getting there. Right. So, you know, all the things we talked about, about conceiving your organization differently, getting executive buy-in, dealing with the board, getting their buy-in, talking to, and transforming the board, talking to donors about the need, expanding the, the, the donor base, the grantsmanship as a transitional tool, that was key, um, telling the right story, transforming the organization, you know, it's, these are great lessons, Joanne, you're, you're, you're perfect, thank you, congratulations, congratulations well, thank on you. what you did at Barks, congratulations on your retirement, Joanne thank Goldberger, you. you'll find her on Facebook, which makes a lot of sense. LinkedIn. How long is that LinkedIn going to, you going to keep stay on LinkedIn? Why, no, why bother?
1: It's going to say retire as my it's final going, job. Okay. <laughs> right. <a> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Put some <laughs> confetti bomb around that. Exactly. All right. <laughs> right. All right. Joanne, thank you very much. Thanks for sharing. Oh,
1: you're most welcome. Thank you, Tony.
0: If you know someone appropriate for nonprofit radio, Ameritai, uh, nonprofit emeriti on nonprofit radio, Please nominate them. You can use TonyMartinetti.com. You can email me, Tony at TonyMartinetti.com. They should have retired from a long career in nonprofits, at least 30 years. And please, they should have good ideas. Please don't nominate a mediocre, lackluster retiree. That uh, status is reserved for me, although I'm not retired yet. But I don't want to have to tell somebody that their ideas are mediocre or middling. So, please, don't put me in that position. Smart retirees, those are the ones we want. Smart retirees with a long nonprofit career, let me know about those folks. That is nonprofit emeriti. Next week, fail forward. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications. PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out. And be great!